0: A grey mist hung over the land, which the rain never cleared. Snow fell in June and July. Frost came in August. Crops didn't grow. The specter of starvation loomed. One year, summer never arrived in the Maritimes, earning that miserable year the nicknames, the Poverty Year, 1800 and Froze to Death, and the Year Without a Summer.
1: You're listening to Backyard History, the hidden stories that happened in your own backyard. The podcast version of the weekly history column running in newspapers across the Maritimes with your host and author, Andrew McLean.
0: On April 6th, 1815, on the far side of the planet, In what is now Indonesia, Mount Tambora volcano erupted with an explosion which could be heard 2,600 kilometers away and which knocked the top third of the mountain off, sending a plume of toxic smoke and ash a staggering 43 kilometers up into the atmosphere. The eruption, with its explosions of acidic ash, continued at full force until the middle of July. It was the largest volcanic eruption in human history. The immediate eruption killed an estimated 10,000 people, and ultimately as many as 88,000 people nearby would die as acidic ash poisoned the water and spread disease amongst the refugees fleeing the natural disaster. The enormous plume of smoke quickly spread on wind currents all the way around the world. The entire global ecosystem was quickly altered. The weather grew cold, torrential rains fell, cities were flooded, and crops were ruined. In China there was a famine. Across Europe, riots broke out amongst the hungry, who chanted the desperate slogan, bread or blood. In Canada, the Maritimes were particularly hard hit. The skies turned dark as if a storm were brewing, and they stayed that way, with no amount of rains clearing the pallid grey haze. The weather stayed miserable that spring, and remained cold well into summer. Frost and even snow came periodically during the height of summer. On June the 7th, farmer Benjamin Crawford of Kings County, New Brunswick wrote despairingly in his diary, Cold north winds with snow squalls this morning. The mountains are covered in snow. Benjamin Crawford, along with other Maritimers, would not have known what caused the weather to be so bad, and that must have added to the sense of despair that they felt. There was speculation on the causes of the lack of summer. One fringe theory circulated amongst rural people in New Brunswick, that the weather was punishment from God because too many farmers were leaving their farms to move to the cities. While theories like that existed, just as they do today, they were actually on the edge of the mainstream. Although it was over 200 years ago, communication was actually quite sophisticated and maritimers were more worldly and aware of the news and scientific developments from not only Europe but around the world, than we might assume. For example, Fredericton's local newspaper published in full the Independence Proclamation of Haiti which was the world's first republic to throw off colonial rule and have a black-led nation. Maritimers had keenly followed Napoleon Bonaparte's career, and they raised money for dead and wounded British soldiers who defeated him at the Battle of Waterloo, which was just one year before. Maritimers had keen taste in European poetry and a particular fascination with Lord Byron, And when the British poet published a new work, it was rushed into print by the newspapers across Nova Scotia and New Brunswick, and it was snapped up by an eager public. So of course these sophisticated and worldly Maritimers sought out scientific rationales for what was happening in the year without a summer. And many different theories were offered. The New Brunswick Royal Gazette suggested on September 17th that the North American climate has grown warmer that it formerly was, on account of the forests being cleared and the morasses being drained. The newspaper continued, If we listen to the descriptions of the old and experienced, very perceptible changes have occurred during their own recollection. The paper's takeaway was that the land was reverting to pre-European settlement temperatures and that, as the country is opened and the morasses dried up, we shall have less snow and frost and more heat and dryness. Taken together, these quotes are a remarkable indication that human-impacted global climate change was widely known, and it was accepted over 200 years ago, although perhaps a distinctly different conclusion was being drawn from it. The same newspaper offered a different hypothesis on July the 30th. Yesterday, snow fell on this place, they wrote. Suppose it was asked, is the coldness of the season caused by the solar spots? Interestingly, only inches away in that same newspaper, on that same page, was another article which offered a major clue as to the cause of the weather, although the connection wasn't made at the time. Under the dramatic headline of Remarkable Phenomenon was an excerpt of a ship's journal from the past October from near Calcutta in India which read, We observed a quantity of stuff floating on the surface of the water. Which had the appearance of seaweed but we were quite astonished to find it was burnt cinders evidently volcanic the sea was covered with it during the next two days the surface of the water was completely covered with this volcanic matter while debate over the causes of the poor weather continued life grew dire for maritimers as the summer wore on Governments across the Maritimes watched the successive crop failures with alarm. They were keenly aware that hungry people were dangerous people. New Brunswick's government stepped in and banned food from being exported. They were not going to allow food to be sold elsewhere if it meant the starvation of their own people. Worry about these successive crop failures and the rising price of wheat became a near obsession widely reported in newspapers and becoming a major topic of conversation. Over the course of the year, farmer Benjamin Crawford dutifully recorded in his diary the remarkable rise in the price of flour, first intermittently when he himself ventured to town and later more frequently when he would ask any neighbour or passerby what the price was now. Over that year, the price of flour increased 30-fold, pricing the staple ingredient far out of the reach of the budget of the average Maritimer. From the beginning of European settlement, settlers preferred to eat the same diets they had in Europe, and they held the foods grown by the indigenous peoples in low regard. Lobster, for example, was particularly disdained. There was, however, one notable exception which transcended the indigenous slash tastes becoming a popular staple crop throughout the maritimes in new england corn while the wheat crops failed completely that year while farmers had to sell and later slaughter their livestock the hardy corn grew on as the sky failed to clear As June and July came and went, as snow mixed with never-ending rains killed the vegetable crops, the corn kept growing. When August came along, bringing frost and ice, the first and still the only time in recorded history in the Maritimes where there was frost in August, and as desperate farmers had to resort to selling or slaughtering the livestock, hardy corn survived. However, the weather was so poor that the corn wasn't ripening. In New England, the corn crop never did ripen, but the Maritimes had a stroke of luck in late August and received a brief burst of warm sunny weather which allowed the corn enough time to ripen. This short-lived but well-timed burst of good weather and the hardy corn crop alone was likely responsible for the maritime staving off the large-scale starvation and the food riots which were experienced in Asia, Europe, and even right next door, in New England. The coming winter was still extremely difficult. Winter arrived quickly, many of the ports frozen in mid-November. The desperately hoped-for aid in the form of European wheat never came. Some shipments of barley, rye, and oats arrived, but they were described by the Gazette in November as barely usable. The poor quality, however, didn't stop people buying it, and it didn't make it any cheaper, with the newspaper sourly noting, What little barley was left met ready sale, though there was no amendment in price. That winter, Maritimers went deep into the forest to search for roots and bark which could be boiled into some form of sustenance. Precious heirlooms were sold by desperate people, needing money to buy food. Those who were lucky enough to live by the coast reduced themselves to eating a foodstuff that is so plentiful it would wash up on the shore after a storm. The much hated lobster. Nonetheless, and largely because of the corn crop, mass starvation was avoided in the Maritimes. The rest of the world was not so lucky. An estimated 1 million Europeans died of starvation, while Asia experienced an outbreak of the devastating cholera pandemic, which swept all the way from the East to Japan and killed as many as 8 million people. While Maritimers suffered, In Europe, their favorite poet, Lord Byron, and some of his fellow writer friends went to Switzerland A miserable summer. Stuck inside their villa due to bad weather, they held a competition amongst themselves to see who could write the best ghost story. Amid the claustrophobic, dark and desperate atmosphere, that ghost story competition led to the birth of the horror genre. When the competition was finished, Mary Shelley had penned Frankenstein. John William Polidori wrote a short story called The Vampire, which later formed the basis of Bram Stoker's Dracula, and Lord Byron wrote a chilling poem called Darkness, depicting the news swirling around him in the year without a summer, a poem which was later published and eagerly read by as many fans in the Maritimes.
1: I had a dream, which was not all a dream. The bright sun was extinguished, and the stars did wander darkling in the eternal space. Rayless and pathless and the icy earth swung blind and blackening in the moonless air. Morn came and went and came and brought no day, and men forgot their passions in the dread. Of this their desolation and all hearts were chilled into a selfish prayer for light. And they did live by watchfires, and the thrones, the palaces of crowned kings, the huts, the habitations of all things which dwell were burnt for beacons, cities were consumed, and men were gathered round their blazing homes. To look once more into each other's face, happy were those who dwelt within the eye of the volcanoes and their mountain torch. A fearful hope was all the world contained. Forests were set on fire, but hour by hour they fell and faded in the crackling trunks, extinguished with a crash, and all was black. The brows of men by the despairing light wore an unearthly aspect as by fits. The flashes fell upon them. Some lay down and hid their eyes and wept, and some did rest, their chins upon their clenched hands, and smiled and others hurried to and fro, and fed their funeral piles with fuel, and looked up with mad disquieted on the dull sky, the pall of a past world, and then again with curses cast them down upon the dust, and gnashed their teeth and howled, the wild birds shrieked, and terrified did flutter on the ground and flapped their useless wings, the wildest brutes came tame and tremulous, and vipers crawled and twinned themselves among the multitude, hissing but stingless. They were slain for food, and war, which for a moment was no more, did glut himself again. A meal was bought with blood, and each sate sullenly apart, gorging himself in gloom, no love was left. All earth was but one thought, and that was death. Immediate and inglorious, and the pang of famine fed upon all entrails, men died, and their bones were tomeless as their flesh. The meager by the meager were devoured, even dogs assailed the masters, all save one. And he was faithful to a course, and kept the birds and beasts and famished men at bay, till hunger clung them, or the dropping dead lured their lank jaws. himself sought out no food. But with a piteous and perpetual moan and a quick desolate cry, licking the hand, which answered not with a caress, he died. The crowd was famished by degrees, but two of an enormous city did survive, and they were enemies they met beside the dying embers of an altar place, where had been heaped a mass of holy things for an unholy usage they racked up. And shivering, scrapped with their cold skeleton hands the feeble ashes and their feeble breath. Blew for a little life and made a flame, which was a mockery, then they lifted up. Their eyes, as it grew lighter and beheld, each other's aspects saw and shrieked and died. Even of their mutual hideousness they died unknowing who he was upon whose brow famine had written fiend. The world was void, so populous and the powerful was a lump, seasonless, herbless, treeless, manless, lifeless, a lump of death, a chaos of hard clay. The rivers, lakes, and ocean all stood still, and nothing stirred within their silent depths. Ships sailorless lay rotting on the sea, and their masts fell down piecemeal. As they dropped, they slept on the abyss without a surge. The waves were dead, the tides were in their grave, the moon their mistress had expired before. The winds were withered in the stagnant air and the clouds perished. Darkness had no need of aid from them. She was the universe. That was Backyard History with your host, Andrew McLean. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for another hidden story that happened in your own backyard. Produced by Jordan Lozier.